All right, so last week was our first lesson in this series, and we covered sickness, the, na- the nature of sickness and disease. And just a brief review, we looked at how sickness is an assault on God's blueprint. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And even the heathen recognize that when a baby is born with something that doesn't line up with what they recognize as perfect, we call it God's design, even the heathen call it a birth defect or defect. And so even the heathen recognize things aren't proper. Plus the heathen, heathen don't want to be sick. We, we've got hospitals built to the majesty of science. And uh, they're all designed to make us feel good and do better. Even the heathen realize sickness is not good. So sometimes we as Southerners, we've believed the lie that God will put sickness on us to teach us something. We also covered last week that the Bible never teaches that sickness is a teacher. The Bible teaches that teachers are teachers, the pastors are teachers, the scriptures are teachers. In the New Testament, if you have the Holy Spirit and if you're born again, you do. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, but it never teaches sickness as a teacher. What the Bible does teach sickness often is, is judgment. So I was always challenged. I was raised Southern Baptist, so I I would challenge Baptists. All right, so biblically, this can't be God. So what are you being judged for? That's good. Because... And then you have to recover them. It's probably not God judging you. You're a good Baptist. You love God with all your heart. You know, uh, you know, it's probably just the devil. Or you know what? It may just be a flu bug. Either way, we don't want it. And like I, I say, if you don't believe God wants you healed, do not go to the pharmacy. Do not go to the hospital. Do not take an aspirin. Do not give your kids medicine because God may not be done teaching them something. Which is ridiculous logic when you stop to look at it. So I don't know why, and again, I was raised Baptist, so I know all the dumb arguments for staying sick. I never wanted any of them. I remember even one time, this, and I, it's not like you ever heard it taught from the pulpit, but even in Seattle when I was in high school and I broke my leg, just mangled it, I remember laying there thinking, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I remember thinking that, laying on the, on the ski slope with my foot pointed the wrong direction, going, all right, Lord, what am I supposed to learn here? Got nothing. I got nothing. Mm, no, because I don't pay attention in youth group. So how am I going to hear something now? All I heard was crunch. So that's the, that's the ludicrousness of, of God wants you sick. So that was last week's lesson. This week, this one I have never heard taught before till I wrote this, not to brag on me, but you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you start to see scriptures in a totally different light. So this one I call sick people in the Bible. Who was healed and who wasn't and why? Now, I exclude all the gospel healings because that's multitudes that we just can't cover because many places it says in the gospels and Jesus healed all their sick. So how many of that leave out? None. So that's a little too much for 45 minute Sunday school. So what I decided to do is go through the Old Testament, which to some people would be the merciless aspect of God which of course is a ridiculous observation. But I decided to look at the Old Testament and see who got sick in the Bible and who didn't and who, and who got healed and, who, and why. What, why did some folks get healed and some folks didn't? So that's what this lesson is, a bunch of bullet points, but let's jump in and we'll see. We have an asterisk beside those that got healed. So the first uh, sick person we really see or the first instance of a defect or something out of line with God's blueprint is Sarah's womb doesn't mean she was the first one in history. She's just the first one in the recorded Bible. Sarah's womb was barren. So here's our first instance of sickness. Sarah was barren, but by faith, she received miraculous strength to conceive seed, 
God healed her and Isaac was conceived. So the first sick person in the Bible, if you want to call barrenness a sickness, the first person who got sick, got healed. So we're batting a thousand. Amen. Simple enough. How did she get it? By faith. Hebrews 11 is very clear. By faith, she received strength to conceive seed. Strength is the Greek word dunamis, miracle power. It doesn't mean like physical strength, supernatural strength. Number, they go on to the next one, Abimelech. Here's our first instance of real sickness. You know, a barren womb might be more along the lines of a defect. Here's a real sickness, Abimelech. Abimelech was as good as dead. Why? Because he took Sarah into his harem. His wife and his maidservants were barren for sinning against Abraham. In fact, God basically told him, you would be dead if it were not for the innocency of your heart. Basically, God said, I'd have killed you for sinning against my prophet. Even though he lied, God still defends his people. Abraham lied. That's not my wife. It's my sister. Well, on a technicality, yeah. That's what we call guile, only telling half the truth that makes you look good. And so he gets sick, his whole family gets sick, not just his wife, but it's all of his servants. It kind of lets us know when you get goofy sometimes, uh, sickness and, and judgment doesn't just affect you, it can affect your wife and your kids and your family and your business. It's just better walking with God, clean and honest. So what happened with Abimelech? Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God healed him and the women and they conceive. So healing. So we're batting a thousand. First two sicknesses in the Bible healed. God never said I'm teaching you anything. First one was just, just born that way. Second one was judgment for sinfulness. But how did the first two people get healed? Faith and prayer. We're starting to see a pretty good pattern here. These are pretty easy. We get, they get better as we go along. Rebecca's womb. Well, Rebecca was barren. Isaac entreated the Lord for her, and she conceived twins. Wow, you ask for one, you get two. Must have been a two-for-one deal that day. Or maybe, I don't know if it was TBN, we'd say he had a double portion of faith or something that day. I don't know. We'd make up some little gimmick to sell more trinkets and get a bigger offering, steal it from the local church, you know. Once again, Rebecca's womb is barren, but her husband, her husband, her husband, her husband prays. Husbands ought to be praying for their wives, for their wives' healing. Apparently, it was just as important to him, too. But here's the other neat thing. So far, two out of two bearing women have babies. One of the things uh, my wife and I, when we were having trouble conceiving Lydia, she, she was more into the word concerning it than I was. But she said, honey, everybody in the Bible that wanted a kid got one. So I want one. So we get one. Now we have two. Double faith portion anointing. And <laughs> keep it going. So she gets healed. Still batting a thousand. Three sick people, three healed. Miriam. Also notice two defects, one judgment. Miriam. And we're going in biblical order. I'm working from Genesis all the way through. Now we're into the book of Numbers. Miriam became leprous for slandering Moses. This was her kid brother. This is the sin of familiarity. This is the bossy Jezebel in the local church. Well, who does he think he is? I can run this church better. You can't even run your, your life better. That's the problem with Americans is we're so opinionated. But as you notice, people who are the most opinionated, their opinions don't benefit them any. So I say, if your opinion's not benefiting you, it's not going to benefit me or my church. So just be quiet. 
Wait till you have some better opinions that have better fruit. And once your opinions start bearing fruit and not just internet or interest or Pinterest or Facebook or Twitter, once they're biblically based opinions, maybe we will listen to you. Miriam, she was mouthy. She's probably a middle-class white American. All right, woman. And God struck her with leprosy. God, the judgment of God came upon her and she's sick for running her mouth. Here's judgment. So now out of four, two are birth defects, two are judgment. Never has God taught anybody anything yet. She's sick because she's a slanderer. She's sick because she slandered God's leadership she had all these excuses. Does God not only speak to us or him? He also speaks to us. And the Bible says she came out white as snow. That's not good. The Lord still has the same opinion of slander today. And as powerful as social media and the internet is, all it really does is give useless people a platform that they could never earn from God. And, you know, I, I'm all for Facebook and Twitter and, and Internet and websites and blogs, and we have all that stuff. But, but most people just get on there to run their mouth. And so it's like any other tool. You can sin with it or you can build the kingdom with it. And sometimes your sin comes home to roost and looks like leprosy. But Moses prayed and said, Lord, have mercy on my sister. Heal her, O God. He basically, in the Hebrew, he's like commanding the Lord to heal her. He intercedes for her, heal her, O Lord. And the Lord healed her. And so how did she get healed? Faith and prayer. Uh, Hannah's womb. Whoa, we're like alternating back and forth. Also, do notice this, that all the great leaders, their mamas were barren. And what if their mamas hadn't, hadn't had that faith, hadn't had that determination, hadn't had that drive to seek God and not give up. You know, with, with Sarah, it took 25 years. How, how many of us give up after a week? Even us good, a word of faith, rhema people, after even a year of believing, well, maybe it isn't God's will. But she fought for 25 years. That's a long time to believe God for and not give up hope. But sometimes, uh, again, we, we oftentimes, we just cope. We just cope with the sickness rather than fighting for it, fighting for the healing. But Jesus Christ didn't die for us to cope with anything. The Bible calls us more than copers. I mean, no, more than conquerors. We're not more than copers. We're more than conquerors. These people, these were all the mothers of patriarchs and the mothers of prophets. They wanted a kid so bad, they just would not let go of it. And they got a kid, and God used that kid mightily. So Hannah becomes, of course, Samuel's mama. Hannah desired a child and petitioned the Lord. Eli, the priest, blessed her request, and the Lord remembered Hannah, and she conceived. Sometimes you think the Lord's forgotten you, unless, of course, till you sin, then you know the Lord's all up in your business. But sometimes when we're doing right and we're believing God, we think he's forgotten us. But the Bible says very clearly here, this woman, the Lord remembered her and she poured her heart out before God in the temple. That's the other thing. We don't come to church to pray much anymore. And nothing wrong with praying at home, but she went to the house of God and sought God. And we know that in these last days, we've got to make the house of God more of a house of prayer again. One of the things I appreciate about Catholic churches is they're open all the time 
for people to go pray in. And faithful Catholics will go in there and they'll do their candle thing and they'll do their little Buddha bead thing or rosary bead thing. And, but they'll do it all times of day. And sometimes we as charismatics, we as a you know, word of fakes, we think service is the only time that we, we should come and pray. But some of our best miracles in the church are from folks who came up here on their lunch break and just got on their knees at the altar and, and came up here and sought God just throughout the day. Because we do have office hours. Most of you have keys because you're helps ministry, so you can just come let you in. Bring your baby up here and pray at the altar. But that's what Hannah did. She prayed at the altar of God, and Eli, the priest, saw her. First, he rebukes her because he thinks she's drunk. She didn't catch an attitude. She said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm just so broken down, and my heart is so hurted or hurtful. I, I can't even make words come out. I'm pouring out my heart for God. And the, Eli doesn't even ask what you're praying for. He says, well, may the Lord bless your request. And he gets, she gets it. So she gets healed. You know, when you can't have a kid and then you can, that's called healing. Michael's room, or womb, or as the Hebrews would say, Michael. There's, there's a, uh, you know, Michael, it sounds like David married a dude. This was Saul's daughter, Michael, is a woman. Because, you know, the patriarchs weren't into homosexual marriage either. Michael was David's wife. She once greatly loved David, but the love grew cold. And she ultimately despised him because he was zealous for the Lord. Boy, God help you if your wife hates you for loving God. Her embarrassment of praise and worship and her dishonor for her husband caused her to be barren and never conceive a child. The Bible says very clearly there in Samuel, for this reason, her womb uh, was closed and she never opened it. Or the Lord never opened it because she never opened her heart back to God. This is our first instance of someone being sick and not getting healing. But what you see is, number one, she never repents. So we see it's judgment. Number one, she never repents. Number two, she never turns her heart towards God. Number three, she never apologizes to her husband. She stays this cold, bitter woman. And she was barren to the day she died. So we have to get this far into the Bible to find someone who didn't get healed. And it was all because of a hardness of heart. Just making observations. You guys know I'm scientific, and I like to make observations. I like to test theories and theses and hypotheses. And so we're, we're, you, know, you can build doctrine on precedent and on patterns. And so everybody so far has been healed because they sought God and they had faith and they prayed. Here we get to a woman. Her womb is, she's born uh, with a fruitful womb, but her hardness towards God causes judgment. The Lord seals the thing, and it never opens up. I'm convinced, I think you would be too, if she were to ever repent, the Lord would open her womb. I think we could see that. I think we know the nature of God. I think we know the God of the Old Testament enough to know if she'd say, Father, forgive me, or Lord, forgive me, or David, pray for me, or high priest or prophet, pray for me, you know the Lord would have given her a kid too. But you never see that. You see her cold and bitter, living in a tower the rest of her life until David gives her off to another man. And she just, that's the way she goes. All right, King Jeroboam, idiot number one of the kings, after Solomon, I suppose. King Jeroboam, you had Rehoboam and Jeroboam. King Jeroboam led Israel into idolatry. King Jeroboam is the first of Israel's lineage of kings, and he starts a wonderful precedent called not God. And Israel never had a good king, ever. This is the time of the divided kingdoms. So you had Judah and Israel. Judah had about seven good kings after David, Josiah being the last one. And of course, then you have Jehoshaphat and uh, Hezekiah. Asa was a relatively good king. But this is Israel's king, 
not a good guy. He leads Israel into idolatry. He gets paranoid that if the folks, if, if the Jews go to Jerusalem to worship, he'll lose them. So he erects his own idols there right above Jerusalem, trying to get Israel. Basically, it's the modern church. It was more convenient because if they, he, he just set his temple a little bit closer to the, the, the national hood of Israel so they didn't have to go as far to go worship the right God. So he led the whole nation of Israel into idolatry based on convenience. Our temple's closer. And it's Jehovah, though it was really just Moses' bull resurrected. What an idiot. What a bunch of idiots in Israel for just saying, we'll go here, it's just easier. Now how folks pick churches anymore? It's just easier. It's just convenient. Here, here's time for um, one of Pastor Chris's new maxims. Just coined this this morning on the way in. I was preaching to myself. Lukewarm Christians and water are a lot of like. They all flow to the easiest, lowest place available. Christians and, and lukewarm Christians and water are alike. They flow to the lowest, easiest place available. And when a community opens up a new easy church, all the folks at the previous easy church will filter out and grow this massive cancer. I mean church to be this easy pool of stagnant water. That's how it works. And that's what uh, Jeroboam did, Rehoboam did here, or Jeroboam. An unnamed prophet came to Bethel and prophesied against Jeroboam and his idolatry. The rebuked king stretched out his hand against the prophet and commanded his men to arrest the prophet. The wicked king's hand instantly dried up and became immovable. That would be kind of terrifying. I don't know if it mummified or if it just froze or if it turned to like a giant prune hand or what. We just know it, it seized up. Jeroboam had to ask the prophet to entreat the Lord for his healing. God restored the evil king's hand. Why did he get healed? He asked. A wicked king asked for mercy and got it. A wicked king was also smart enough to realize he didn't know God enough. He's too busy serving pagans or idols. But he asked the prophet, he said, you know, God, would you please entreat? That means to seek God fervently. Seek the Lord that he would restore my hand. And God restored the king's hand. So even this wicked guy gets healed. King Asa. King Asa had a reputation for turning to man for help. At the end of his life, he became diseased in his feet, and he did not seek God, but instead sought the physicians. Now notice, there's nothing wrong with seeking physicians, but he did not seek God first. His feet became diseased when he was 39. The foot disease grew exceeding great, and he died when he was 41. Two years, and he never sought God. Two years. God gave him two years, and the Bible is very clear. He died because he sought the physicians and sought not the Lord. Now, look, nothing wrong with physicians. None of us would be here if it weren't for physicians. Thank God for them. But I happen to know doctors. I happen to know nurses. They have issues like you and I do. You ever fall asleep on your job? Don't you think nurses do? You... Any, you ever work with anybody that had a chemical dependency? You don't think doctors sometimes maybe do? What happens if your doctor is an alcoholic? What happens if your doctor's going through a divorce and he's cheating on his wife and he cuts on you in the morning? You need to seek God under the scalpel. I am honestly, I think in this day and age, you need more of God going to the doctor than you do staying in the bush of Africa. Amen. Uh, doctors, uh, my mom is a nurse and has been for almost 40 years. Doctors and nurses have become such abusers of their own prescription medicine 
uh, they, have, they have gone through new scientific or technological advances on how you can check medicine out. My mom currently works at UT Hospital, and she was telling me this new automated vending machine where you get prescriptions so that nobody can steal. You, and it's basically like a sandwich vending machine, but a lot more high tech. And you give your badge and you enter the patient number and the doctor number and your number, and then you are responsible for that vial of morphine or Percocet or Percodan or whatever. Because doctors and nurses, they fall into temptation and they end up shooting up their own drugs. And then they come and operate on you. Do you wanna be operated on by a doctor who's going through withdrawals? You ever hear about somebody having the wrong leg amputated? Having sutures left in or, I don't know, all those tools I can't think of right now that get left in your guts? Yeah, that happens. Why do they, why do they invent malpractice insurance? Because doctors malpractice. They don't mean to, but it happens. So go to the doctor, but seek help from God first. So King Asa never recovers himself of a simple foot disease. Maybe it was gout, maybe it was athlete's foot. Who knows what it was? Maybe it was gangrene. Maybe he stubbed his toe and got infectious. But he had two years to seek God. The Bible's very clear, he never did. He died of a foot disease. What an embarrassing way to die. Sick feet. But he never got, he never asked. So why did he die? He never asked. Why didn't he get healed? He never asked. King Uzziah. The Bible says of King Uzziah, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. We got to stay in humility. He was a good king for a season. He thought he could play priest. That's dumb. He went into the temple in order to burn incense. Azariah, the priest, withstood him and greatly angered Uzziah. One of the things I like about Azariah, it says he had 80 priests that were men of valor. They weren't like these limp-wristed, soft-hand, sissy priests that we think of today when we think of priests. These were mighty men. It lets you know that the priesthood is not made of those who couldn't make it somewhere else in life. These were men who were not afraid to face the king and say, you are in sin. Get out of this temple. These were tremendous men. And nowadays, you know, preachers, that's like the worst job to be because everybody looks down at you. Oh, you're just a preacher. Yeah. And I have a large arsenal of weapons and I study judo and jujitsu. And I don't matter punching you or... I don't know, slapping you or whatever. We, we've made the preacher so irrelevant and so soft-handed. I did shake, shake a priest's hand one time, and it was at a church. He was a big fat priest. It was after a Christmas Eve service, and it was like squeezing a marshmallow. And I remember going, that's a fat, sloppy hand. He didn't have calluses. That's why I try to maintain calluses. You know, men should have calluses, not palm olive hands. Anyway, King Azariah had some awesome priests. While he was angry, he got mad at the preacher. While he was angry with Azariah and the other priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead and he eventually died a leper. He never sought God for healing. He never repented. He had a, it broke out on his forehead because the forehead is where the Bible signifies determination. Like he, made, he told Jeremiah, I'll make your forehead as an adamant stone. Adamantine is also what we call ruby or sapphire. It's a nine on most hardness skull, very hard. And that's, so that's where the leprosy broke out on, is where he had determined, I'm going to withstand the priesthood. So the Lord said, no. You know, you can see him just resisting him. No. But he never asked for forgiveness. He never repented of trying to play priest or for touching the Lord's anointed. The priests were just as anointed as he was. He died of leprosy because he never sought God for healing or repentance. But again, you see sickness as judgment. King Hezekiah. Also notice King Jeroboam, King Asa, King Uzziah, King Hezekiah. Sickness is not discriminatory. 
These are the highest people in the land. And the rules of faith and the rules of sin still apply to kings. And God is not afraid of judging kings, just like he's not afraid of judging uh, the pauper. So King Hezekiah, King Hezekiah was sick and nigh unto death because of some sin, probably pride, as Isaiah 38 alludes to. We know it was a sin because at the news of his death sentence, he instantly repents, turning his face to the wall. He said of himself, I have cut off my life like a weaver. He blamed himself. He knew, I've cut off my life like a weaver. You know, weaver making, not like Marlon Weaver, but like a weaver making uh, rugs. You know, you cut off the strings. He said, I've done this to myself. His repentance was so quick and heartfelt that the word of the Lord came again to Isaiah as he went back and he went back. One of the things that the story tells us, he comes to Hezekiah and says, set your house in order for you're dead. And he walks out, shuts the doors, walks to the courtyard. As he's walking out of the king's palace, Hezekiah says, I'm a dead man. I've cut off my life like a weaver's beam. He says, Lord, forgive me. He goes on to say, Lord, you know I've served you. You know I've done these great things for you. Have mercy on me, O God. Isaiah's walking through the courtyard and the Lord tells him, go back, tell him I'll give him 15 years. Lord, that makes me look schizophrenic. That makes me look double-minded. But the prophet knew the word of the Lord, so he comes back in and says, wow, that was a quick turn of events. That lets you know how quick repentance can take place. Or you can be like Esau, who though he sought repentance with tears, he found none. It's all a matter of the heart. Hezekiah had an instant death sentence, but he was able to instantly repent and literally turn the prophet in his tracks. And the prophet comes back and says, uh, I'll heal you and give you 15 more years. Here's the sign. I'll turn the clock back or the, the, the hourglass. And he made the fig the balm of figs to put on the wound, whatever the wound was, we don't know what it was, and God healed him. He didn't just say, promise me, he also said, give me a sign. The Lord said, here's the deal. It's easy to make the sundial move forward, I'll make it move backwards. God did that to tell his king, you're as good as healed. Then the Hezekiah says, well, praise the Lord, I won't live to see the judgment you're bringing. That's kind of selfish. Because the Lord said, the judgment that I pronounce will not fall on you, but it'll fall on your sons and your sons' sons. And Hezekiah said, well, it's a good day. I won't have to see it. Come on, Hezekiah, you got this intercession thing going. You might as well repent for all of Israel and Judah. Uh, Judah. But he, he didn't. He was just happy to get his life back. All right, Job. So Hezekiah got healed. Job, famous story. Now, again, I'm reading through the Bible, but not chronologically, because Job is the oldest book of the Bible. Job had no Mosaic law. He had no New Testament. Job was scripturally ignorant, doctrinally inept. He was just a nomad who happened to bump into Jehovah God and cried out to him. So Job is not a very good book to build doctrine out of because God himself has not pronounced anything to Job. You have to understand that. Now, there's some awesome things. And my judgment is Elihu is the smartest man in the whole book of Job. And you'll find Elihu's discourse in about chapter 34, 35, 36. He's the youngest. He says, old age is spoken and it's spoken foolishly. Now I have a spirit within me that cannot be constrained. I will speak now. Listen to what the spirit of the Lord has to say. That's where you start paying attention. <laughs> anyway, Job, Satan actually told God to put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. That's what Satan said. The Lord permitted Satan to touch Job and Satan smote Job with sore boils. Who smote Job? Satan, so it wasn't God from head to foot. But God healed Job when he prayed for his friends. He prayed for his friends and then God healed Job. 
and gave him twice as much as he had before. Theologians also tell us the whole Job thing was only about 18 months. So he came out the other end, healed, twice as rich, got rid of that old bag of a wife who said, curse God and die. That's not a good woman. You want a woman that says, honey, we can make it. We can fight this thing. Let's just pray. You and me, it doesn't matter what's taken from us. As long as we got each other in God, she said, curse God and die. What a miserable marriage. But he said, I won't. I'll bless God and live. God healed Job. So there we have that famous story, but even Job gets healed. Moving on, Mephibosheth. We just taught on this a couple Sunday nights ago. Jonathan's son, who was dropped by his nurse as a five-year-old and was crippled by the fall. The Bible never records his healing, but David brought him into the king's palace that he might be good to him for his father Jonathan's sake. Now, what we covered a couple of Sunday nights ago is that Jonathan never stopped seeing himself as a dead dog. Now, in the Hebrew context, a dog is a wretched animal, not like America where we worship them and dress them up like Harry Potter and give them their own dog book account. To the Jew, to be called a dog is wretched. And so even Paul says, beware the dogs, beware the concision. Mephibosheth didn't just see himself as a dog. He said, I am but a dead dog. Why does, why does my master, why does my Lord David have any interest in me? And even when he's sitting at the king's table, eating every day, even when he's been given all of his grandfather Saul's estate and property and servants, he still sees himself as a dead dog. Even so much when his, father, his grandfather's servant betrays him to David and says, Mephibosheth has stayed in Jerusalem to, to betray you, King David. Even when he finds that out, he won't rise up for himself and say that it wasn't true. He still sees himself as a dead dog. He still sees himself as having deserved broken feet because he's of the lineage of Saul. And as long as you see yourself as deserving the sickness you got, you'll never see yourself as deserving anything better. He never asked for it. He's eating at the king's table. He's over Saul's domain, and yet he still considers himself a dead dog. We have a self-esteem issue. And until you can change that in you, you'll never get healed. You'll never be prosperous. You'll never take the land. You'll always see yourself as a dead dog. So why didn't he get healed? He still saw himself as deserving his grandfather's punishment, which is not the case. It's just ignorance. The Shunammite woman, this boy complained of a headache, my head, my head, and then died at noon. Elisha prayed to the Lord, and the boy revived. Another example of healing because the Lord asked. Somebody asked the Lord. Mephibosheth never asked. Elisha asked on behalf of the Shunammite woman. Naaman the leper. Naaman was a Syrian and an honorable and trusted military leader. He obeyed the prophet Elisha, dipped seven times in the river Jordan, was cleansed of leprosy. His flesh became as a little child's flesh. That's a good promise to claim when you have skin conditions. His flesh came again as a little child's. If you, you, know, if you have complexion issues, if you have skin conditions, that's a good promise to stand on. Why did he get healed? Because he sought it. He wanted it. He took a whole regiment of men to go seek the prophet. And he obeyed. Notice he wanted it though. These other folks, they never asked for it. It reminds me of the scripture. Ask that you might receive. Gehazi, even Gehazi. Gehazi became leprous because of greed and lying to the prophet Elisha. But sometime later, Gehazi was found in the king's court as an advisor he had to have received healing to be in the presence of the king. Kings don't let lepers come into their court and tell them stories of Elisha. So we can safely assume he's healed because otherwise you've got to obey the laws of the Mosaic Covenant and deal with lepers. So he got healed. Now, Pastor Ingoff taught us that he was probably one of the four lepers at the gates when they're eating donkey face meat sandwiches 
And they said, why sit we here and die? Let's go up at once. And those four lepers went and caused the Lord amplified their footsteps and the enemies of God fled. Remember that story there in Kings, second Kings. Yeah. David's son by Bathsheba, David's infant son. This was the illegitimate son. David's infant son was born sick. God had declared that the boy would die, but it was David who had declared his own punishment to the prophet Nathan. David had declared that the man who had stolen the lamb should repay fourfold. It's dangerous when you become overly critical. Remember the story? Nathan the prophet comes and says, behold, there was a little man who had just one little precious sheep. He raised it from a child and there was a great man who had lots of sheep. And one day when a visitor came, the great man went and stole the poor man's little most prized sheep and ate it. And David became enraged and said, this is horrible. And Nathan said, what should be done? He said, that man should repay fourfold. And Nathan said, you are that man. And if you'll go on, David loses four sons. He declared his own judgment. I killed, I I stole Bathsheba. I killed Uriah. I should have to repay fourfold. So he does. And he begins with the first son, Absalom and two others. You got to be careful when you got sin in your life that you're not repenting of. This is where we can aptly apply, be careful what you judge for with whatever measure of judgment it shall be meet back to you. It played out there in the life of David. David had declared that the man who had stolen the lamb should repay fourfold. David went on to lose four of his sons. He could not turn this judgment. He had pronounced it himself, but it didn't stop him from trying. He wept and interceded. And we really don't know how long, how old this son was. You would look like it was a newborn, but the Hebrew implies it was probably a toddler. When you study that passage and you break it down, you're looking at big chunks of time that are passing. So to me, when we just glancely read through it or gradually read through it, it looks like he calls her to the house. They have sex once. She spits a kid out the next week. The kid dies seven days later. We're talking probably two or three years of the whole time period. They're all fighting east of Jordan. It takes uh, a month just to travel there. So they're going back and forth. Anyway, uh, that's another message for another day. Anyway, he could not turn this sickness. Timothy, Timothy apparently had a stomach problem. Paul advised Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach weakness, not to get drunk, not to be a Christian hipster, not to flirt with sinners or be cool at the local martini bar. You drink a little bit, a little bit. How much did he say? Take a little wine for thy oft stomach infirmity. So people like to use that as an example why they should be a wine bibber. I like what Dr. Barclay says, is your name Timothy? Do you have diarrhea? I added diarrhea because I like talking about diarrhea sometimes. <laughs> if you don't have runny tummy dysentery or stomach ailment, then you don't get to drink wine because it's an offense to people. So he apparently had some kind of stomach. You know, that's a missionary thing. You know, you go over there, eat weird stuff. Our friend, Pastor Jimmy, travels the world. He never eats local food. He packs one suitcase full of crackers and sardines and potted meat, disgusting stuff. And I said, Why? And he said, I nearly died on the mission field. He said, I literally sat on the toilet all day long, coming out both ends, could not even make it to the emergency room. I had to pay a lot of money to send to a local doctor to tell him what I was doing, to bring him to my hotel room. The doctor asked all these questions in Spanish. And he said, I'm going to give you a shot. And it's going to hurt bad and you're going to be miserable. You won't die. He said, so I don't pay $20,000 to go overseas and sit on the pot for two days. He said, so from that point forward, I pack all my own food. Fair enough. Never been that close to death to really consecrate in my heart. Never again will I eat the heathen food. (laughs) 
now eat potted meat, which could be arguably is heathen food, but not to him. All right. His stomach ailment may have been from dysentery or ulcers from stress. You know, dealing with sheep, you get a little stressed. Just a little. Epaphroditus. <laughs> That's why you pray him to another church. Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a servant to, of the Philippines, but he was sick and nigh unto death for the work of Christ, not regarding his life. He probably fatigued himself, probably exhausted himself. He was delivering the offering of the Philippians to Paul because nobody else would run the errand, though he was the apostle. The Bible calls him the apostle of the Philippian church. That was his church, but nobody else would rise up to deliver the offering kind of an insult to the Philippian church. We want to take up a big offering for you, which is what Paul bragged on the Philippians for, but we don't want to deliver it. So Epaphroditus was with Paul when he wrote the letter back to the Philippians. And he says, he's sick and near unto death for your work's sake. Shameful, actually. What would the Philippian church have done if Epaphroditus had died of the flu or pneumonia, whatever maybe struck him? It's kind of shameful. Many ministers have nearly killed themselves preaching because they have not taken care of their bodies. But, quote, God had mercy on him and Paul was able to send him back to the Philippians because he was healed. This is not a demonic attack. This is not judgment. This is just the laws of biology. You have to rest your body. You have to, you have to eliminate stress. The doctors tell us that. There are rules and laws of science you can't break, even by faith. Pastor, when Pastor John Osteen died and went to heaven, he told Dr. Barclay, he said... I'm going to die younger than I should. And they're going to say the Lord took me. He said, let them know the Lord didn't take me. I did not take care of myself. That's what he told Dr. Barclay. He died, what was it, in his 70s, do you remember? It was relatively young compared to our standards. But he said, I just didn't take care of myself. You can't violate those rules. I'll keep reading here. Paul, I got five minutes left. Paul, Paul's thorn in the flesh is often taught as a sickness, but this doesn't line up with proper biblical interpretation. Numbers 33:55 uses the terms pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides to describe the wicked inhabitants of Canaan land. Judges 2:3 and Joshua 22:13 use similar terms to describe the enemies of Israel. Paul said thorn in my flesh. Who was the Hebrew of Hebrews circumcised eighth day according to the tribe of Benjamin? Paul. Who was the Pharisee of the Pharisees? Paul. Who knew these terms? Paul. So he's writing there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, a prick in my side, a thorn in my eye. Also, Paul himself said the thorn in the flesh was an angel of Satan. So it wasn't God, but the devil. His eye affliction mentioned in Galatians is suggested to have been malaria. In the Galatians, he says, you see how large a letter I have written with my own hand. Or he says, even, you know, my infirmity, how you would have even plucked out your own eyes for me. Now, does that, does he saying I have an eye infection? Does he saying it? It's, we don't know exactly what he's talking about. Maybe he had bad vision. Maybe that's why he had to pen such a large letter. Or the other interpretation is it was just a long one because Galatians and Hebrews used to be one epistle. So that's a large, that's a large letter. <laughs> so maybe it's figurative, maybe it's literal. Maybe he wrote it with jumbo print because he had bad eyesight. We don't know. <laughs> malaria comes, even if it was, malaria comes from mosquitoes, not from God. Regardless, he didn't die from malaria. He died from martyrdom. He died when he was ready to die. Nero cut his head off. This is by no means an all-inclusive list of sick people in the Bible. Most notable, the gospel healings have, left, have been left out. But trends and patterns do arise. Those who called out to God and relied on his mercy received healing. Those with stubborn pride and sin died with their affliction. I think we can see that over and over and over and over and over again. We never bothered to maybe look at healing in this perspective. Who was sick? 
Everybody got sick. All, all, we shouldn't say everybody, all ranges of life. From the king to the queen, all the way down to the Shunammite son, to the apostle Paul, to his protege Timothy and Epaphroditus. Those who got healed though were those that sought God, stayed clean, repented. And those who didn't, well, they wouldn't open their mouth. They died stubborn, even as a, a Uzziah who just said, well, huh, harumph. I want to play priest and you won't let me. Fine. And he went off and the Bible says he lived and died in a separate house. He had to be separated from the rest of Israel. It's pride that can often keep you sick. It's stubbornness that can keep you sick. It's not, it's sometimes it's not even just asking. Just ask. And then like, like uh, Sarah, you have to keep asking and seeking and believing God for 25 years. So maybe we need to collect. We have been for years collecting testimonies of healings, but sometimes some of the stuff we believe God for, it takes years to manifest. You know, with, with us and Lydia, it took probably better part of six or eight months, which if you've ever tried to conceive, you know, that can be frustrating every month that rolls around. And she'd say, this isn't right. People have sex outside of marriage and get pregnant, don't even want it. How is this right? I said, honey, doesn't matter. We believe God. And then you got some folks, you know, they just, they just look at each other and she's pregnant. So, you know, we just, everybody has a different race to run. Uh, the biggest story I have is when I had warts all over my right foot and the doctor called it a wart mosaic, and it popped up in 1996, and only got worse the more I spoke to it. In 96, I was here learning about faith and healing, began to speak to these planters' warts on my foot, and I declared they'll never hurt, and they never did, though they tell you they should hurt badly. But the more I spoke to them, the more I got in healing lines for the healing of the plantar fasciotomy, or whatever it was called, the worse it hurt. And before long, I had a mosaic about the size of a silver dollar of warts on the bottom of my right heel, started breaking out on the side of my right foot, then it broke out on my left foot, then it got on my, fo- on my elbow, then on my forehead, and my mind's going, if my face looks like my foot, God Almighty. But I, I remember the 2000 election, I was out in Missouri on a job, and I was singing one of Beethoven's symphonies, and I was working, I was saying, the warts are gone, the warts are gone, the warts are gone, the warts are, the warts are gone, the war-. and I'd sing that for hours. And uh, one day in 2001, so five years, and they keep getting worse. Uh, One day in 2000, Pastor Darren taught a message on three things Jesus rebuked. He rebuked the storm, he rebuked devils, and he rebuked sickness. He said, so we're going to rebuke something now. So we all stood up, and I was trying to think of something to rebuke, and I thought, oh, warts. So I said, I rebuke you. Get off my foot in Jesus' name. Get off my body. I curse you to hell. Didn't feel nothing. You know, really, you just do it to obey the pastor, because, you know, you know, you don't, you're sitting on the front row, you're his youth leader and his right-hand man, so you got to obey. Felt nothing, felt dorky. That was Sunday. Tuesday, came back from judo, jujitsu, where I wore socks because I was self-conscious of my feet. Plus, it helps you learn to train judo. And I was stretching, as I always did, picking up my warts, as I always did, and I began to pick at them, and they all began to fall out. Just pick the wart, left holes in my feet. And then in two weeks, all the skin had grew back, and I still have baby soft feet today. Five years, though. Five years and I never stopped asking and I never doubted whether God wanted to be healed or not. It just, I said, I got no other option. It's either God, I can't afford the lasers that scar my body. It has to be God. But that's what we have to be. You just have to keep believing and keep speaking to it. Uh, and probably that song helped me more than anything. We do have that CD we taught a while back on the threshing sledge that Isaiah says, behold, I give you a threshing instrument having teeth and you will thresh the mountain and you will beat them small as chaff and you will chase them away. It's like six things you have to do and it all starts with your mouth. And the Lord says, and then I will gather your fruit into the garner. 
Six things that with our mouth we got to do first. And you just keep speaking to it and speaking to it. And just don't quit. And if it gets worse, it means it's working. It's been my experience anyway. Anyway, we're out of time. Now I'm preaching. I'm excited now. I'm going to have a healing line or something. I don't know. Well, we will lay hands on folks at the end of these two months of teaching. We want to do like Brother Hagen. Build your faith for two months. And then maybe that last one, we'll just lay hands on anybody who's believing God for something. So just don't disengage, even though this is just 45 minutes of Sunday morning. Set your faith. If you need healing for something, that these messages are going to build faith in my heart. I believe it. Hands are going to be laid on me. Pastor Chris is going to be anointed. The healing anointing, God's going to honor this, and we'll get it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Sunday school this morning. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for strengthening us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. We thank you that we don't have to be sick. We don't have to be barren. It may come on us, but we've been given authority over it. We can be healed like David. We can be healed like Hezekiah. We could be healed like any one of the patriarch's wives. We don't have to submit to this. We can beat this thing. And we thank you for it, Lord, for healing our bodies. Make our bodies line up to your blueprint. In Jesus' name, amen.